Welcome to the Celebration Church Tri-Cities Podcast. We are so grateful that you have chosen to spend part of your day with us. We are praying that God speaks to you through this message from our pastor, Robert Russell. For more information about our church, visit cctri.org. Enjoy the message. Some of you may not have heard, but every song that we were doing in worship today was written by somebody here in the church. And if you're not aware, a lot of that is going on. And I really appreciate Louie really encouraging and developing people in this regard that there's something special there. And appreciate the choir arranging all the parts to go along with that. It's a special time of worship in that regard. And now, if you were here last week, you know that I was not. Um, and really, the last few weeks have been a little challenging. I have an old, strong work ethic, and to miss when I don't plan to miss is hard for me. But I really did appreciate Dr. Taggart stepping in. The problem was I had a COVID exposure, and I never had any symptoms, tested negative, but my isolation period extended beyond last weekend. And so he spoke and did a great job. I watched it online. And uh, I appreciated him sharing about an abundant life is one that is rooted in faith. He was speaking from Habakkuk where the scripture says that the just or the righteous shall live by faith. And I believe that in the United States for many years, that has not been a requirement. That is, if you called yourself a Christian, you were a churchgoer and you had a religious component to your life, I dare say that a large majority, if not the vast majority of people, were living not by faith, but by their own ingenuity, desires, and purposes. And faith only became important when they hit a bump in the road or a crisis or something of that nature. But I believe we have come to a time in this nation and certainly around the world where if you are a Christian, there is no place to be lukewarm, and living by faith is a requirement. Just to sort out truth and understanding, it requires faith. And I believe as we move forward as a body, that is all Christians in the nation, that living by faith is going to be even more imperative. So what he was talking about in that an abundant life is one in which you are living by faith, I do believe is foundational. And then two weeks ago, I was talking about abundant life from the standpoint of an abundant mental life. If you happen to be new today or a guest, I've been in a series about abundant living. And it's really a little different than you might have encountered in some other contexts because we're saying that abundant life is really life that is in Christ, surrendered to him. It's not about things of this world. It's not about finding abundance in this world. It's about being a person filled with the Holy Spirit, so much so that the fruit of the Spirit pour out of your life into the lives of other people. That a truly abundant life is one in which Christ so richly indwells you that he impacts others greatly. And in talking about an abundant mental life, we went to this scripture in Romans where it says that we are to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. I like the King James where it says, be ye transformed. And if you think about that, it means that you must go from something to something different. That my mind, my thinking has to be transformed. 
And in many respects, I believe that to be made in the image of God is to be able to think with the capacity to make moral decisions. And so this idea of your mind being transformed is that you would be transformed from a sinful fallen person who thinks selfishly and thinks about the world to being a person who is filled with the Holy Spirit, guided by the Spirit of God, who thinks in a godly way, who has wisdom and discernment for this life. And so God wants to transform us. And that transformation, and I said the foundation for really having an abundant mental life is truth. The scripture says that the Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth, that he guides us into all truth. We live in a time when truth is under assault, perhaps more so, certainly more so than any time I've been alive, and perhaps more so than any time in history. That this idea of truth is foundational because it is the nature of Christ. Everything we know to be true emanates from, it comes from the very character and nature of Christ. And so the Holy Spirit who dwells within each one of us is always instructing and imparting to us truth. I've realized that I have a vast increase in the measure of truth that I understand compared to my pre-Christian days. However, I'm always in the process of learning additional truth. Because if God himself is truth and he's infinite, he's all-powerful, all-knowing, it's impossible for me to comprehend everything about him. But as I'm growing in Christ, I'm increasingly learning and gaining new truth about his character, his nature, his love, all the things that he's doing in this world, about what he does in our individual lives. And so... An abundant mental life is learning and listening to the Holy Spirit, learning from and listening to his guidance and his direction. And then part of what we talked about there a couple weeks ago was the scripture in Corinthians where it says that we are to take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Now, I heard recently, and then I did a little research to try to figure it out, but that the average person depending on what study you pay attention to, has somewhere between 6,000 and 70,000 thoughts per day. Now, if it's 6,000, that's about one every 15 seconds. And if you think about it, your mind will move to a different thought fairly quickly. 60, 70,000 sounds a little high to me. However, some of you say, shoot, I live with somebody who has 6,000 thoughts an hour and expresses every single one of them. I said that last night, and this lady just elbowed her husband really badly. May have fractured a rib, I don't know. But if you think about that, if you have just at the, the lower end of that range, if you have 6,000 thoughts per day, and we are to take captive every single one to make it obedient to Christ. I mean, if you really were to evaluate your thoughts, what percentage would you say are obedient to Christ? What percentage are wayward and often some direction that really makes no sense? And yet being transformed and resting in truth and having an abundant mental life is one where I'm thinking in a way that Christ desires for me to think all of the time. And so the foundation of an abundant mental life is truth. And really, as we've been going through this series, in each teaching, essentially, we've come to one place. Like I said, what is an, an abundant spiritual life? And the foundational word was 
freedom. Well, in abundant mental life, the foundational word is truth. And where I want to go this week is to talk about an abundant relational life. Now, what I mean by that is abundance in all of the relationships that you have. Your relationship with Christ, your relationship with those that are closest to you, like your immediate family or closest friends, your relationships with coworkers, with churchgoers, with all the people that you encounter in your life. How is there abundance or is there abundance in your relational life? Now, if you think about that, there are a lot of different things that influence relationships. But at the core of any relationship, what makes it really strong and healthy is trust. See, the people that you trust the most are the people that you're going to confide in, rely upon. In fact, if I were to ask you, who do you trust more than any other person other than Christ? Probably everybody here could quickly think of this person or that. Maybe it's your spouse or your, or your mom or maybe it's somebody else that you've known for a long time. But who do you trust? And so to explore this idea of an abundant relational life, I want to first go to the scripture in Revelation because it's talking about the nature of Christ himself. And there, John saw this revelation. He said, I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse whose rider was faithful and true. And of course, who he is seeing here is Jesus himself. And it says that the rider is faithful and true, not as adjectives, but as nouns. In other words, it's not describing him as a person who has faithfulness or has truth, but rather that his character is one of faithfulness and truth. And so I want to explore first the idea that Christ himself is always faithful. Now, our experiences in life sometimes lead us to the place where we doubt his faithfulness, do we not? I'm sure... Most, if not everybody here, has been to a difficult place in life where you really wondered, is he faithful? But if you have walked with him a number of years, you realize that even in the darkest valleys, he proves himself faithful. Maybe not in the ways that we would have wanted, Certainly, usually, not in the time frame that we desire. But over the seasons of life, God proves himself faithful. And sometimes you'll go through something that you would think, I would have never wanted this. And you would have begged and pleaded, God, please, not this. And yet you go down that path. And if you trust him in it, he will show you through it, give you strength, and demonstrate to you that he is faithful even in the darkest valleys. The scripture says this in 2 Timothy. It says, if we disown him, he will also disown us. And I'll come back in a second and talk about well, what does that mean. But it says also, if we are faithless, 
he will remain faithful because he cannot disown himself. Sort of like in the song that Abram was singing about the father, there's certain things that the father cannot do. In other words, God cannot be unfaithful. He cannot be untruthful because what? It is his nature and character. It's what he does that he is true and faithful. He cannot disown himself. Now it says if we disown him, he will disown us. Well, think about the people of Israel in Old Testament days. They were the covenant people with God. They were given this special relationship And yet, what did they do? They violated the covenant. They disowned him, so he allowed them to go off into their own sinfulness. Now, he was faithful to them even though he allowed them to rebel and go off. And so when it says he disowned them, it just means in that regard that he will allow you to go and indulge your rebellious sinful desires. But he's faithful even in those, like with the people of Israel. When he brought judgment, he always sent warnings. The judgment was for the purpose of getting them to repent. He was always calling them back to himself, and he was faithful throughout. He is faithful still to today, to the covenant people of Israel. And it's his nature. He cannot be unfaithful. But now, if we were to ask the question... How faithful are you? Have you ever posed that question to yourself? Do other people consider you faithful? Like would people in your immediate family consider you faithful? Would the employer that you have consider you faithful? Like there a gentleman that used to go to this church. He's in heaven now, but he, he owned a business. And one time he introduced me to somebody who, who was his right-hand man, the top employee in his business. And you could tell that not only did they have a working relationship, but they had a friendship and a bond. He just so appreciated this man. Well, how did that man get into such a position? Because he had proven himself faithful for many, many, many years. Now, some of you know exactly what it means to be around a person who is not faithful. Maybe you had a parent who deserted when you were a kid or a parent who was an alcoholic and you could never know if they were going to be there or not when you needed them. You never knew if they were going to pick you up from school or you had to bum a ride with somebody else. Some of you have been through scenarios where you had a spouse who was unfaithful and departed. Some of you have had people that you thought were your absolute best friends who proved unfaithful at a critical juncture. So all of us probably know what it looks like when somebody else is unfaithful. But how faithful are you? Now the scripture says in Galatians that the fruit of the Spirit are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. 
Now, I believe that the fruit of the Spirit naturally emanate from or come from the Holy Spirit. But the fruit of the Spirit are not natural for a fallen human being. Now, you might have some capacity to love, but you really do not know how to love unconditionally in the Spirit of God unless you are empowered by the Holy Spirit. That how many of us could say, apart from the Spirit of God, we're really patient? I haven't met a lot of people like that, apart from Christ. But in Christ, we can be extraordinarily patient. And I believe that sinful, fallen human beings are not naturally faithful. Now, if you had asked me many years ago before I knew Christ, was I a faithful and loyal person? I'm pretty sure I would have said yes, confidently. But in assessing that now from a different standpoint, I would have to say most of the time, but not all of the time. When my selfish desires or my sinful desires got in the way, I would be unfaithful without even giving it much thought. And I would dare say to all of us as a bit of a challenge, that our selfishness can cause us to be unfaithful sometimes with us not even being clearly aware of it. See, the fruit of the Spirit are things that the Holy Spirit builds in you during a lifetime. And he is building constantly in all of us faithfulness. And see, you don't really know how faithful you will be in any circumstance or situation until you are tested. One of the saddest statistics I've ever seen is that the divorce rate among couples where one of them is diagnosed with a terminal illness is higher than the average divorce rate in society. In other words... Somebody's diagnosed with a terminal illness and the other one says, I can't deal with your problem, I'm out of here. See, at the critical crisis moment, they're unfaithful. You really find out somebody else's faithfulness when the crisis arises. When the difficulty, the challenge the heartache. And I believe that it's the Holy Spirit who builds in us supernatural faithfulness. People who will stand firm with you no matter what. Sometimes, if you think about it, throughout Christian history and certainly in the world today, some Christians are called to be faithful unto death. Some of the true stories from when the Titanic went down were that there were those who gave up their positions in the lifeboats or something of that nature in order that others might be saved. 
Some who were firm in their relationship with Christ, who were faithful unto death for others. And there's stories like that martyrdom of Christians throughout history, and certainly it's going on today. I increasingly hear stories of Christian martyrs in places like Nigeria and certainly in Afghanistan and the persecution going on in China and, and in India and Pakistan and so on. That faithfulness first to Christ, then to relationships of all types. See, in the critical juncture, would you be faithful? If it was going to cost you your life that you either renounce Christ or you declare your conviction and your love for him and it was going to cost you your life, would you be faithful in that moment? If we had asked Peter that question before Christ was arrested, Peter would have said, absolutely. But he was unfaithful at a critical juncture. Yet after Pentecost, at every juncture where it could have cost Peter his life, he was faithful and true. What was the difference? He was filled with the Spirit, and the Spirit had imparted faithfulness to him. So I go back to the question, how faithful are you? See, I said before I was a Christian, I was faithful maybe most of the time, but when it was in my selfish self-interest, I could be unfaithful sometimes Wretchedly so. And since having come to know the Lord, it is a desire of my heart to be faithful to him and to all others. But even there, I recognize there have been times when I have been selfish, neglectful, and not as faithful as I should have been or could have been. Scripture says this, that Paul, in writing, said that Christ the Lord had considered him faithful, appointing him to the service of Christ. Now remember, Paul, when he was Saul, was persecuting the church, was certainly responsible for the murder of Stephen, if not participating in it. And as a consequence, he certainly carried that guilt to the point of he was transformed and came to know Christ. And in that moment, in that transformation, something radical happened from Saul becoming Paul. Over time, Paul proved himself faithful. Remember early on, the other Christians, when they heard about this, they were like, not that guy. They didn't trust him. But if you look at all that he went through, all the persecution, all the suffering, and all of his missionary journeys, he was beaten in prison and all those things, Paul was faithful throughout. And see, he, he said, the Lord has considered me faithful. Now, if we were to ask Christ right now, are you a faithful person? How would he answer? You know, I think about appearing before the judgment seat of Christ more perhaps now than I have, and I'm more uncomfortable about it. 
Now, I am not at all uncomfortable about whether or not I'm going to heaven. You know, some people think, well, how could you be certain? I can be certain because of the work of Christ, not because of me. If it had anything to do with me in my works, I am doomed. But I am certain because of the work of Christ, because of the love of God, that he so loved the world that whoever would call upon his name will be saved. But I am uncomfortable about appearing before the judgment seat of Christ because I think, am I squandering any part of my life? Am I wasting any of it? Am I doing enough? Am I surrendered to Christ that he might fully do what he wants to do? I don't want to waste anything in this life. I think of somebody like Reinhard Bonnke who spent his entire life traveling the globe as an evangelist and think, gosh, I haven't come close to spending my life the way that gentleman did. Now, I've said before, it's not a good idea to compare to somebody else. I'm not saying that, but I'm saying, am I fulfilling faithfully what God is calling me to? Are you? Paul said, and we know by the witness of Scripture, undoubtedly he did so. And then in this case, it says, with the help of Silas, I, and it's Peter writing in this case, he said, whom I regard as a faithful brother, said, I have written you and encouraged you and so forth, that Silas helped him. Helped him. Now, this could have been the same Silas that was Paul's traveling companion. Could have been somebody else with the same name. But either way, Peter was saying, here is a person that is a faithful brother a brother in Christ one who has proven himself faithful during your life's journey would you write that about somebody else somebody that you would say they're always there when you're in the greatest need that's who you can call upon I have a good friend who used to go to this church, but he moved to another state. One time I had a breakdown in West Virginia. I told this story years ago, I won't go into the whole story, but we were pulling a camper and the car broke down. I had to leave the camper in West Virginia. My friend had a truck that had towing capacity and I called him a day or two later and said, how'd you like to go to West Virginia? Pick up my camper. He's like, sure. Now, he's got a full-time job. But we went, brought it back. You know, that, that guy has proven himself faithful every time I've ever asked him to do anything. Always. And you know, even now that he lives in another state, I'm sure if a crisis arose, I could call him. And he would still be faithful. His name is Jay Jackson. Many of you know him. He's always proven himself faithful as long as I've known him.
I would consider him a faithful brother. Likewise, in Corinthians, now this is the Apostle Paul writing. He says, for this reason I am sending to you Timothy, my son, whom I love, who is faithful in the Lord. He makes a little bit different comment here. Peter was saying about Silas that he was a faithful brother, talking about his faithfulness, apparently, to Peter. But here, Paul is saying, this is one who is faithful in the Lord. Faithful to others and faithful to the Lord. And you know, when I look at people that I would want to work with or be in any difficulty with, I want somebody first and foremost who is faithful to the Lord. Or if you're a single individual and you're looking for a spouse, look for somebody who is faithful in the Lord above all other characteristics. Because the scripture says looks are fleeting, but faithfulness in the Lord grows over time. And perhaps the the best thing that could be said about you as an individual is that others see your faithfulness in the Lord. But do you realize there are many aspects to faithfulness? There's faithfulness in your thoughts, faithfulness in your heart, in other words, the affections that you have. There's faithfulness in your words and in your deeds. See, most of us think of faithfulness just in deeds, but really, God looks at the heart. He sees everything about you, and he sees the aspects of unfaithfulness that might still be somewhere in your soul. See, in your thoughts, like we were talking about an abundant mental life, in your thoughts, are you faithful and true to the people around you? Or are you a double-minded person? In your words, are you faithful and true? Do you always speak that which is wholesome and uplifting? Or do some of your words cut and wound? I mean, I've been around Christians who were devout in their religious undertakings whose tongues were sharp weapons that left deep wounds. Are you faithful in your words? Because out of the heart, the tongue speaks, the scripture says. And then from those core things, the faithfulness in your mind, in your heart, in your soul, then are you a faithful person in your actions? Because some people can pretend to be faithful when all the while what's in their soul is not faithful. Eventually, it will come out. Eventually, it will be revealed. The scripture does talk about those who were unfaithful. First, in the book of Hebrews, it's talking here about the people of Israel. 
It says, they did not remain faithful to my covenant, and I turned away from them, declares the Lord. He didn't abandon them. He turned away by allowing them to go their own way. Which is pretty much where we are as a nation. Some of you know for years I said we were under passive judgment. I don't say that anymore. I think we're under active judgment, meaning God has allowed us to go our own way and we are suffering the consequences. And apart from a true repentance across the nation, it will not change. But there is hope. There is hope, first of all, that those who truly know him will humble ourselves and pray. And that one by one, those who are in the grip of darkness will be liberated from their bondage to sin and come to know him that there would be a true transformation, a revival that would sweep the land, that would be a great awakening. It's our only hope. But it's a real hope because of who he is. In a similar fashion, though, the scripture says in Acts that Barnabas wanted to take John, whom we refer to as John Mark, on a missionary journey with he and Paul. But Paul did not think it was wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia. In other words, John Mark had not been faithful to them in one of their prior missionary journeys, and Paul said, nope. Don't want him alone. Said they had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. That Barnabas took John Mark and Paul took Silas. Now notice there that the core of the disagreement between two brothers was the unfaithfulness of another person. First, you need to recognize, all of us need to recognize that whenever we are unfaithful in any area... It probably affects many people or several people. That there are ripple effects. And likewise, when you are faithful and true and standing firm for a long period of time, it positively affects many people. And yet here was a brother in Christ who had broken trust as far as Paul was concerned. Now you might raise the question, well, shouldn't Paul have forgiven him and taken him along? This doesn't indicate that Paul didn't forgive him. There is a difference between forgiving someone and trusting them fully again. In other words, there's some people that you must forgive for such wretched things they have done to you, but you'll never be able to trust them in a way that you might have trusted them before because of the darkness of their sin. There's some people that you forgive and you, you do allow them and, and really entreat them in rebuilding trust. But trust is something that is built over time through faithfulness that can be damaged very quickly, but only rebuilt slowly. You cannot rebuild trust quickly. And see, that's why it's important for all of us to be 
faithful and true steadily. It's like the old story of the tortoise and the hare really is a tremendous amount of wisdom. Because if you are a tortoise of faithfulness who stays the course, it pays long-term dividends. Now, it is true that we're called to forgive every person, and some people, you can rebuild trust to a high level. But Henry Cloud talks about there are three categories of people. They're wise, foolish, and evil. Henry Cloud is a Christian psychologist. Well, wise people, generally, you don't have to worry about rebuilding trust because they're faithful. They're foolish people who do unwise things. You can rebuild with them. Evil people, you must draw a boundary. Probably John Mark fell in the foolish category, and Paul was not ready to entrust him with responsibility at this point. But which are you? I mean, I'm really asking myself, am I as faithful as I can possibly be to Christ first and foremost? Am I faithful to those around me in my immediate closest relationships? Am I faithful to the body of Christ? Faithful to all of those that God brings in my path. Lastly, the scripture says this. Since his master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. You know, the Lord does give us the capacity to make real choices. The human will is the place where we can choose to follow, submit, or rebel. And faithfulness is an outgrowth of wise choices consistently. And see, all of us want to stand before the Lord and hear, well done, good and faithful servant. But how faithful are we? Are we consistent day in and day out, faithful to the one who created all things, including you and me? See, I do believe that the foundation of an abundant relational life is faithfulness. If people consider you a faithful person, one they can call upon at a critical time, when they really need something, when there's a, a desperation in their heart, and they know they can call you, they can trust you. See, that's the foundation of an abundant relational life. Well, let's pray together.
Lord, we admit that in our selfishness, we can be unfaithful people to you and to others. I pray for every person here that you would convict us of places where we're unfaithful and build faithfulness in us. That we would be true to you in all circumstances and faithful to those that you have put in our paths. And I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. We hope that you enjoyed this podcast and that it blessed you in some way. Don't forget to visit our website at cctri.org. And make sure that you send us your prayer requests at office at cctri.org. We pray that the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in Him.